Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Becoming the 1% Podcast. My guest today is James Peratt. He is the creator of Wild Hunt Conditioning. You are not going to want to miss this. We dive into his new book. We dive into the history of strength and conditioning. We dive into the primal man, exactly what it means to be a well-rounded athlete and a well-rounded human being in general. Enjoy. James, thanks for coming on, man. Seriously. Welcome. Thanks for having me, guys. Making the trip, coming out. We really appreciate that. That's a that's a high, high compliment. So much to get into, so much to talk about. I want to open it up to you here at the beginning. That's the way I like to start the format of the episodes. I want to hear about the guest. I want to hear about you know wild hunt conditioning, all of that. But let's get into that a little bit later. Okay. Let's start with you, your background. Now, today, you are an avid. You're a bear hunter. You hunt with a bow. Yeah. You've obviously tailored your conditioning and your training around that type of an activity but talk to me about before wild hunt you know kind of before that company where 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 did that all start uh i'd say it's it's hard to tell that story without starting at the beginning so i guess i'll just start there great place to start so my dad is a bear hunter also and a houndsman from a long line of appalachian bear hunters so on that side, I'm appalachian my mom's uh, the japanese american daughter of a uh, internment camp survivor Oh uh, yeah. So it was like, uh, I grew up pretty humble. I was born in the smallest mountain range in the world, the Sutter Buttes. Um, I had a pretty humble, humble upbringing. My dad was a sheriff's deputy. My mom stayed at home. Uh, later on, I ended up getting just kind of slowly one thing after another into more and more serious trouble and eventually ended up, uh, like fully immersed in uh, the outlaw life, I guess you would call it, ended sure. up serving time. I, I was an armed robber, served time for that, and a bunch of other stuff in several facilities over the years, and uh, really didn't do anything at all with my life until I was like 31. Wow. And uh, I'm 35 now, but I just kind of woke up one day, and uh, I don't know, it was, it was just, it was like a, it's this simple, a simple little realization it's like if i had made you know like i don't like where i'm at in my life and uh-huh. if i had if i've arrived here from making a series of poor decisions sure. it only stands to reason that making better decisions would carry me somewhere more favorable mm-hmm. and like you know saying it out loud it's the most simple thing in the world but my brain it just but to put into practical application especially when you've when you've grown up a certain way and right. you mentioned that you were um you know, living that outlaw life. Were you affiliate? Were you gang affiliated? No, I was always a lone wolf. So I'm not sure whether that was a good thing or a bad thing. But I mostly robbed drug dealers, and you know, I mean, some actual establishments. And sure, stuff, you know, sure, sure, sure. But primarily, uh, so it's kind of the op- the opposite of that. Yeah, you know, was it kind of a? I mean, you did it a bunch of times, and then you got caught once, and that was enough, or did you have several sort of run-ins with the law? A little bit of both. So it was long-term, ongoing, like years and years of this sort of behavior, uh, as well as my own struggles with addiction. And essentially, uh, as the addiction grew, I Mm. became sloppier, and eventually that only ends one way. Sure. And then, uh, but even even after that, it just took me, like, you know, I did start working out. For the first time I started seriously working out was when I was locked up at 19 for a robbery charge. Okay. And, uh, so that was kind of in a way, like in a roundabout way, a good thing. I mean, that really mm-hmm. was my introduction. Cause I just, I did the same thing every day. It gives was, you an outlet, something to keep your yeah. mind occupied. So it introduced me to not only working out, but also, uh, studying like historical reading essentially, but yeah. my interest in his, the historical studies and, uh, meditation and minimalism, just like living a small, simple existence, uh-huh. you know, a, a good construct that construct the best routine possible and just live that every day as your entire reality. And I still integrate that, you know, I don't watch the news. I don't follow politics. I don't engage in celebrities, you know, like it's probably I, a healthy, yeah. healthier mindset. <laughs> I mean, I, it's a good plan. The oh. truth is I don't even really consume social media. Um, That's... I, I work, I mean, it's part of my job obviously, but I'm producing content. I'm working, you know what I mean? But outside of like, you know, supporting my friends and the stuff they do and whatever, like I'm not, I'm not really on there. Sure. And uh, I just, it, I find that kind of keeping it simple, straight. My dad would say kiss, keep it simple, stupid. Of course. And uh, it's like, so if I can just do A and B to the best possible quality of my ability, then I think that yeah. generally serves me better than trying to do A, B, C, and D. Yeah. You know? 
You, you mentioned your father. Was was he a part of, at this time, when you were dealing with this kind of, I mean, apparently dealing with some stuff and having to make this transition in your life, was he there? Was he a part of this transition? No, we were estranged for many years, and mm. we, uh, we reconnected actually just a few years ago. And then he died uh, unexpectedly this past in December of this oh. past year. So sorry to hear that. Sorry for your loss. Yeah, uh, man. Uh, thanks, guys. But it's you know, and is obviously it was rough. This winter was rough, but um, it mostly just left me feeling really grateful that we had the years that we had because we could have not reconnected mm -hmm. as well. You yeah, know, and that could have never happened. And we, I mean, we got to hunt like, like last last year. I hunted bear with him and. I got stranded in a snowstorm. I was out on a, like a solo hunt. I was up there for two weeks in Idaho and it was April, like beautiful weather. And uh, they said we were going to get like a little dusting of snow, which I thought would be perfect. Go ahead. Continue. Bear are hard to track. So like a little dusting of snow would have been perfect because mm -hmm. I could see actual tracks and really follow them a lot easier. Anything I hit, you know, blood trail, blood's a lot brighter on snow than it is on dirt to track. Yeah. And bear can be hard because they have, uh, they don't bleed a lot. They have like real thick fur, real thick hides. You know, and it's like, it's not like, you know, you shoot a deer. Even with a vital, lung. yeah, because yeah. I'll be honest with you, I've actually never had success hunting bear. I've hunted bear, but I've never actually shot one. A lot easier with dogs. A I can imagine. With dogs. I've, done, I, I've done cat. I've done mountain lion with dogs. That is a, oh man. What would you say, not to transition too sharply, but we're on this. What would you say is the most physically intensive animal to try to hunt? Um, Bear. Bear? Because, so it's, it's hunting cat like hunting mountain lion and hunting boar are definitely harder on the dogs because yeah. they're just you know like cat cat essentially they get more scared so they'll turn and fight whereas yeah. like with a bear i like if you get six good hounds on a bear it's it's not going to stick around but it's more like you or i like running into like six hornets like you know what i mean we're mostly annoyed we just kind of want to be somewhere else but we're not like they're not out to kill the dogs yeah. they don't tree they'll exactly. just kind so of they'll go and when, yeah and when they get whereas the, if the cat gets them the it, cat will kill them yeah so with the but i think yeah, boar is probably the worst would you i mean would you agree for yeah, the dog i would yeah. historically like, you went on a boar hunt with spears didn't you no knives <laughs> it was Texas. Oh, respect never done that i've never done i can say yeah, i've well, never done that walk us walk us through that i've never gotten into that really with you in a detail especially not in the podcast what what was that experience like yeah so you had re really two fast dogs that were kind of tracking the boars and everything like that and then once we got up close there's one big dog that would come and actually grab it by the ear and then one of our guides would basically go behind grab the legs and pull it down and then it was your job to like, kind of go in and stab and like butchering yeah. a pig. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. What uh, what type of dogs they use? That is a good question. It was a, several years ago, and I don't remember. Sorry. I, I mean, they definitely had hounds. Yeah. I, I don't know what breed, but they they were they were. Yeah, we've always used uh, blue ticks, red ticks, walkers, and then like I, we really like plot hounds. But like the old saying amongst bear hunter is like if you get a if you get a whole pack of plot hounds together, there's not gonna be any bear left by the time you get there. They just, literally, will they will they kill the bear? Yeah, well, they, they'll they'll be, they'll tear it to shreds. Like plot hounds are different. They're see most of the. My dad would tell me that most of the hounds that for hunting bear and well, just hounds in general come from England and France. Mm -hmm. They came over with early colonists, and they were you know interbred, and they 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 picked the big ones and the ones that were you know tend to be better Sorry, at tracking again, animals. Again, the, the the tapping. So, but the plot hounds come from Germany. They were from like the uh, Black Forest, I believe, and uh -huh. so they were kind of like their own thing. And I believe it was a man. Can named... you pull up those? I'm trying to picture in my head, Jake. Uh, they, they're beautiful do looking dogs. Plot hound. E L O T T. T T hound. Yeah. Okay. And uh, I believe it was Johannes Plot. Some guy, basically, some guy with the last name Plot, brought him out a bunch of them out here for his family, and they from just, Germany. Yeah, to North yeah. Carolina, and that's where they kind of just originated, and they've just always been different. They're just harder Germany like, does dog I mean the German Shepherd yeah. the plot hound they, like a plot hound oh yeah that I have seen those oh those guys get big yeah and they they don't break like they don't they never quit they don't like yeah. they're just they're not deterred ever no. but they're great with kids they can be like like great family dogs too beautiful Actually, dog it's it's always amazing to me I mean the canine breed in general and what we as humans have been able to do I mean through multitude of generations of manipulation and breeding to make an animal that is that ferocious and that determined to do one thing to hunt and a they love it oh, yeah. we've we've done this with oh, yeah. our uncles in texas he did it with his friends in texas. hunting with dogs you really come to realize it's a huge i think hunting in general may be one of the most misunderstood concepts it really 
anywhere but especially when it comes to the dogs people have a weird they think the dogs are you know somehow misused or they're they're missed they love it it's their favorite (laughs) thing when they when you get them ready to go and they know what they're about to do that's what they're there to do oh yeah and a dog pack watching them trail watch when they get on it and you got to keep up with them that was my experience with cat is just how much endurance it took to keep up with those and and, and here's the thing i don't know if you know this cats don't walk in a straight line like they don't just go and then no it's up and down and up and down and you're trained because you can't go off the trail you have to follow their trail you are exhausted by the end of that day so it's funny you bring that up that's actually my childhood right there was following hounds Uh running hounds on bear in the mountains with my dad and so that's like that's where my conditioning comes from uh you're looking at the specific dogs in the hunt if you want to show him that oh there we go i haven't seen that picture that's cool oh neat was it was the guy's name johannes plot is that what he said it's something plot though right oh the specific oh that that's him right there yeah oh Oh, that's the kind of dog you use oh yeah actually that's pretty that looks like a a red tick that I yeah so the, uh he he got he got nicked a little bit on the neck so that's oh, why yeah. he's it's a little bloody but oh, here's yeah. the that's the other thing like you said the taxing hunts for the dogs yeah they get oh. hurt yeah they're 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 big boys oh yeah then that would be I I'm I'm really jealous that's probably one of the only like big hunting experiences that you had that I was really jealous that I didn't get to partake in that would be fun to that's hunt them with a with a spear with a knife. I don't know where you got spear. There was no spears. In Some dudes do it. Nice. Some, so people do them with spears. Yeah. I, I, I was, yeah oh yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. Florida. I mean, it's. I would say yeah. it's definitely smarter to do it with a spear than with a knife. I mean, you're at least a little bit away. I'll, <laughs> I'll stick with the bow. Have you seen that uh, <laughs> that that Josh Bomar video hitting a bear with a spear? A spear. No. He took it down, bro. No. Yeah. A black bear down from a what? from a ground blind. He's waiting he, over bait. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. It. He takes balls. Yeah. Oh, and he you, he shows the videos of him practicing, and he kept he kept making and breaking his spears over and over again. He goes, "Well, I got to figure this out." He basically like welded his big carbon fiber blade to this like shaft, this metallic shaft that he ended up sticking with after he went through a bunch of wood ones and a bunch, and finally he made ones where he could like puncture a, a, an archery target with with this knife, and it would go in like this far. He's like, "All right, I I think this will work." And then he just went hunting with it. <laughs> Must have got really good at throwing a spear because it's not easy. He ended up, correct me if I'm wrong, Jake, is he the Correct. one who almost died? Didn't he like fall on his spear? Um, I don't know if he, f- I, I know he almost died in a fire accident. No, uh, I am almost positive that jo- Josh Bomar, if you look it up after after we do this, he, if it's the right guy, fell out of his tree blind with his spear and his spear nicked his femoral artery out in the middle of the wilderness. I think he was in Alaska or something. And he ended up basically YouTubing himself until he almost passed out. And then his hunting buddy managed to get him to a hospital. But this is a crazy avid hunter. I mean, he, that's all he does now is like hunt with a spear. (laughs) That's awesome. But yeah, you see that with the tree blinds and, you know, even arrowheads guys cut themselves up real bad. Yeah. I don't really use them much, but. Yeah. You don't use air. Wait, you don't use arrowheads? No, no, tree blinds. Oh, or right. Tree, tree stands in general. Because you don't use that so much for bear, do you? Uh, I mean, you can. Some guys do. You can, but they like they smell. Their sense of smell is better than a bloodhound. So it's like it's it, and you're like it's not. I don't know. Not really tricking them. It's very. Yeah. Is this the thing of him getting the bear? Yeah, yeah. I'm just gonna try and get to the where he throws his spear. I mean, it's coming up. It, it'll be in a matter of seconds. It's squared up on him too. Oh, there you go. Where, where, is that where? it? Is yeah. It, no, no, I haven't seen angle, this one. Though. He did. Yeah. Wait, he did it from up. No, this is another one. I haven't seen oh, this okay. one. Is that a grizzly? That's a brown bear. Oh my gosh! No, I haven't seen this. Yeah, that's not a black bear. Eli, let me know if you're showing this. If you are, no, I won't. I'm not. You're not. Okay, so he is up in a tree blind, looking down. This is a different one. This is not yeah, Bomar. This is not Josh Bomar. This is not Josh Bomar. This must be someone else. Tim Wells, Bo. Oh, great! So this is catching on. Are you kidding me? <laughs> You won't see me hopping on that. Train. No, he, is he gonna jump on it? Okay, so he's aiming the spear down. He got. He had it. a camera on the spear. He got a too. camera on the spear, and you can see it. It wow, perfect, literally a perfect shot. That's that's that was, right. That was right yeah. through the lungs. That's perfect. That's incredible. If you think about it, though, it's incredible that we do it today. But people did it for hundreds of years. Yeah, the mainstay. How, I mean, who who do we, I think the the Maasai hunt lions even today with spears? They like do. Eleven year old boys do it. They do. They I think do. I think hunting is probably 
the oldest, one of the oldest human activities that we've ever done. Oh, no, undoubtedly. You had to get food. You had to forage. We learned how to farm, I think, after we learned how to hunt, though. Oh, no, no. So that's not even close. Like not We, we close. hunted for, like, hundreds of thousands of years before we even knew a thing about farm. Farming's, like, 10,000, 12,000 years ago. And in some parts of the world, like the New World, three, 4,000. Like, you're talking... They were building pyramids the time, you know, that like the Incas were, you know, certain yeah. people were learning just to, to farm. So farming's super recent. Really? And so like that's even a lot like of the... basic farming. It's yeah. all no, more, we would more... we just foraged before and it was right. se seasonal fruit, nuts, you know what I mean? And you had stuff seasonally, you know what I mean? Specifically. And right. it's just naturally the way it worked out. You got your vitamin C when you need your vitamin C and your vitamin, you know what I mean? It, it worked out. So that's where hunter gather came from. Yeah. Okay. Because you would forage or you would hunt yeah. in order to get food. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think anybody would argue that food was certainly better back then. No, it was. I mean, it's it's interesting, too, because you can look at the individuals. And essentially, when we switched, when we went to, like, the ag the agricultural revolution brought a safety at the cost of quality. So if you look at the individuals, and this is not like some paleo spiel. This is just basic anthropology and archaeology. If you look at human skeletons mm -hmm. before and after the introduction of mainstream agriculture in any given area. And you can look at it because it comes to different areas at different points in time. So it's, you know, it's like you can observe this as a local phenomenon over and over again. Yeah. But essentially what you see is once agriculture gets there, people get smaller, they get weaker, their skeletons become less robust, their jaws oh. and their heads get smaller. They also develop back pain and knee pain that is generally not observed as forks. They're, you're doing a lot of repetitive movements like swinging a hoe over and over and over again. Whereas before you were running, climbing, jumping, bending, foraging, hunting, skinning animals. You were doing all these different things. Which was physical, but not repetitive. Yeah, exactly. And it's important Diverse. to make that distinction. Yeah, it was It was a lot of, there are so many different movements you're doing when you're running, jumping, climbing a tree, swimming. shooting a bow. Yeah. yeah, you weren't just doing the same thing. So you saw the same thing too with diet because once you start farming a crop the main thing you're going to eat is that crop so if that's wheat or rice or and now corn yeah your diet is mostly that now supplemented with small amounts of game that you trap or deers that want you know what i mean whatever whereas before wander you, onto your land yeah whereas before when you're a hunter gatherer you're you know you're killing bison you're following bison herds and then you're eating you know what i mean you're picking wild squash and you're eating fruit and berries and you know all these different things nuts year round mm -hmm. so and it changes season to season yeah and as you wander from area to area so you're getting these all these diverse exposures to different micronutrients and protein sources and all the you know what i mean yeah and not to mention the environmental pressures you're shivering one day in the north and mm -hmm. then you know you're burning the next day and the, you know what I mean the next year in the south whatever it is as opposed to just sitting there and watch you know so and, and I'm not like it sounds like I'm demonizing agriculture I'm not because with agriculture you can have 10 kids and be reasonably sure that five or six of them are going to survive mm -hmm. whereas mm -hmm. as a hunter-gatherer it's like you'd only have a few kids and you know and you never know what's yeah. going to happen could be anything could be not I'll take those odds me too <laughs> <laughs> and and you've also got the separation, like you said, there's a large gap of time between hunter-gatherer and agriculture yeah. in that time, development of medicine, all the kind of stuff that we sure. saw, like disease and dysentery would kill you or, or your kids For when sure. you were hunting. Yep. And you also got to figure that at the time when we were hunting, when you're skinning, when you're gutting, all that kind of stuff, you don't have the knowledge on parasites on, okay, I need to properly... There's an interesting dichotomy there, actually. Is so there? they show that the individual actually was much more capable in terms of their knowledge base. Because if you're a hunter-gatherer, you have to know how to kill an animal, track an animal, clean an animal. You have to know how to process leather. You have to know how to work stone or copper, whatever you're dealing with. You have to know every single plant in the forest, what you can eat, what you can't eat, what's medicinal, what do you, you know what I mean? So it's like uh -huh. the individual actually was a lot more capable. Whereas once you got a specialized knowledge base, all you knew how to do is plant and grow corn. Because that's all I mean? you ever did. Yeah. yeah. But the other side of that is that once you do resign yourself to a lifestyle of simply planting and growing a crop, you have a lot more free time. And that free time, it's like, you know, the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Once you can, you know, once you can be reasonably sure outside of drought and famine, whatever, that your crops are going to be there, then all you have to do is plot, you know, really plant them, maintain them all year round and then harvest them. So that's a lot more time to learn math and science and other stuff. It's like, you know what I mean? Build that, civilization. Exactly. Yeah, all of that, yeah, you know. Yeah. Expand your knowledge in other areas, sure. but not necessarily ones pertaining directly to your survival in a harsh environment. Right. Because you don't have to really live in. I mean, you have to live in a harsher environment than we live in today. Yeah. I think today's people's, the environment we live in today is the worst culmination of all the possible elements you could well, really ever conceive. Every single thing that people like us do is designed to re replace that. That's why we expose ourselves to cold, cold plunges and 
you know, long runs and heavy lifts and all this stuff because we that's no longer provided for us. Yeah. People are literally, like myself included, developing entire lifestyles around finding more primitive food sources, which yeah. is very ironic when you yeah. think about it. Yeah. You know what we're I mean? De we're almost de-evolving yeah. intentionally. But you have to fight. I mean, I you know, do whatever you want. Don't get me wrong. I'm glad I live in a time with modern dental care. You know, yeah. like I'm not saying like I'm not one of those. I'm not a liver king or whatever, you know. No. Uh, but at the same time, you got to be careful about what you embrace and what you discard. And uh, I personally find that in terms of just objective athletic performance, eating a diet like that and living a lifestyle completely centered around training and recovery as opposed mm -hmm. to partying and drinking alcohol and doing everything, you know, or whatever. You Fast know. food. Yeah. And or, you know, just like wasting time on silly things. Uh, I mean, you know, not it's not. It's not meant to be disparaging, but things that I don't have an interest in, yeah. you know, objectively or that don't enrich my life. Yeah. Uh, it just, it's, you know, not as conducive to getting my, getting to where I want to get. And Admit, go ahead. This was a point that we brought up with, we had the, uh, the founder of Shamas. Tell we're all oh yeah. 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 They, they sent me a pair. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, and he, he was just talking Shaman, about, man. yeah, yeah. Josh. Yeah. I've, I've worn them a couple of times. I haven't run in them yet though. I want to try that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, I do what three miles about at a time wearing these things and it's completely changed the way you run. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> it's not a, it's not an ultra marathon, but, um, his point was like, in in our society in our day and age we trade short-term comfort for for long-term gains yeah. mm -hmm. and even with shoes when you look at shoes how padded they are how they're you know they're built at an angle with the heel higher all of those things might feel good i i literally saw sketchers coming out with a shoe that was a massage shoe so it oh massages your feet while you what? walk are you but, kidding what, like it has a battery or i have no idea i didn't <laughs> but you gotta charge your shoes before you go on a walk <laughs> But his point was like, like we need to step back and look like, what is the long-term goal, especially for rest, recovery, uh, strength building, nutrition, all of those things. And instead of sacrificing short-term comfort, we need to really embrace the long-term goals. I would agree. I mean, you're going to pay that price either way. So do you want to pay, you know, do you want to be in pain because you have diabetes and they're taking a foot off? Or do you want to be in pain just a little bit every day because you get up and you do... 15 or 20 minutes of cardio or kettlebells or just something to, you know, or you just can't eat that thing. You yeah. have to sacrifice the pleasure of eating that ice cream. I'm each not even day. sure. Well, each day for sure, but I'm not even sure you have to, I eat dessert every day. Yeah. I mean, and, and don't get me wrong. It's not like, Oh, he's an ultra marathon runner. He can eat 6,000 calories. I mean, sure. But the thing is like, it's moderation. Sometimes it's a Jolly Rancher or two, just, but you know what I mean? It's more of that mental reward. And and you're also eating the things you absolutely must eat in well, addition to. Exactly. So yeah. this is where we get the discipline equals freedom speech. Because if you're disciplined on 95, 90% of your, even 80% of your days, yeah. the other days you can eat the steak and have the ice yep. cream, you know? Yeah. So, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's important, but I, th I think people really do tend to like chicken, rice, broccoli, you know, that mindset is just like, I mean, I, you know, I eat steak and eggs pretty much every day. Yeah, I was going to yeah. ask, what what is your opinion on animal-based diet? I mean, it's, so, it's, it's coming around quite a bit. A I actually guys... have a, I've spent years cultivating a very specific diet just for myself mm -hmm. originally. And so I, I have, uh, uh, we're, we're actually going to be, I'm writing not a book book, but like a, a short nutrition guide on it Good. at some point. But just because I get this, I get this question asked a lot, not because... Not even because like the world record stuff, but I think it's just because I do a lot of different things. So it's like, mm -hmm. hey, how do you eat for jujitsu? How do you eat for bear hunting? How do you eat for ultra running? How do you eat for lifting or, you know, whatever you're doing? Um, but it's just basically, I think, you know, most of the same principles apply. There's different caloric needs and very small variations in macronutrient profiles for these activities. But um, my diet is pretty, pretty simple. Myself, day to day, I generally eat two meals a day. Um, really? I do. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, my calories are still whatever they need to be, but yeah. my, my, I eat two meals a day. Uh, so do you just gore? I mean, those meals, are they big? You just so, eat a ton? Yeah. And I snack like, as much as I need to in between those. Sure. But the, uh, and don't get wrong. I feel my performance. I'm not, I'm not an intermittent fasting, like guru or guy. I eat two meals a day because the Spartans did. They, the rest mm -hmm. of Greece ate four meals a day. The Spartans ate two. What you times know. are you eating typically? Generally. Ooh, about noon and eight, you know, That's, so, I mean, it is, it, but it's not like if I'm starving, I'm like, oh no, it's, it's I'm in my fasting. Window. It's not eight yet. Yeah. <laughs> and, don't eat it yet. Don't no. eat it. And don't be wrong. Like when I, when I wake up in the morning, I have my, co like I have a cup of coffee. I generally put butter in it, you know, so like yeah. that, you know, I'm not like, oh yeah. Bullet, bulletproof coffee. Yeah. Love it. Um, 
I do some of the coconut oil sometimes, but my like it's a mountain man thing. The butter, butter and the coffee goes. Butter is oh yeah, calories. In my opinion, it's better. It's it, butter is better to cook with, better to eat, better yeah. just in general. It's, well, it's, what, yeah. What's the benefit of putting butter in coffee though? I've um, never heard that. Have you ever had it? Mm-mm. It oh, tastes good. amazing. It tastes but, amazing. But, and like traditionally, we did it in the mountains because it's calories. It keeps you warm, keeps you going, you know. And but I like it just. Yeah, I mean, you're familiar with the, the bulletproof coffee craze. So Jake was just mentioning that I haven't done like a lot of research on that as it's a whole. Essentially, uh, coke people were doing coconut oil in their coffees for a mm-hmm. long time. Healthy fats, medium chain, medium chain triglycerides. Um, be careful with those. If you put a lot of them in, you will be running for the toilet asap. <laughs> um, but but I I do either butter or a mix of butter and coconut oil just because I like uh, I like the it's delicious for one I like the extra calories it also tides me over I don't get hungry in the mornings generally if I have one of those um, it's such a great nutritional source for fats I mean you're, you're yeah. gonna yeah. get the energy from it it's also non it's not processed like a lot no, of the seed oil no, things I, are. even coconut oil sometimes I'm a little a bit lot of it. a lot of it is processed uh, seedman Get he's yourself... always, or excuse me, not Seedman, um, um, Saladino. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was he was harping on coconut. He's like, look, if I have to pick a seed oil, I'll pick coconut. But coconut not ideal. oil is not ideal. Eat yeah. butter. Yeah. Eat tea. So, e. I like the grass-fed butter. I mean, even Kerrygold or, you know, whatever. But, like, mm-hmm. there's all sorts. Of, I experiment with new ones, too. There's European ones that I'll get just to try. You know what I mean? Yeah. But um, I love butter, so I usually have butter in my coffee in the morning. I won't eat anything when I have, you know, that first meal. It's generally eggs and fruit mm-hmm. every day with a, a green smoothie a green smoothie has two scoops of whey in it you know uh, i think whey protein's great yeah uh, you know generous especially it's been now vilified that, quite yeah, a bit so much. which doesn't make any sense and there's so many versions of it that don't have any lactose or don't have this or they have digestive enzymes to help so it's like at this point there's so many options mm-hmm. the plant-based proteins got very popular there for a bit and i'm, I'm not a huge fan i'm not tell. either yeah have you tried any of the like the carnivore based proteins the ones that have the organs the blood mark, mark marks. bells yeah, so, marks. yeah marks actually when i did my uh marks see, my favorite about a year yeah it's, that's my probably my favorite tasting protein shake steak of all time. shake steak shake. Sh- steak shake shout out to mark so, Bell. that's a good one yeah and when i true fact when i uh last year i did a I had a goal. To de- I wanted to deadlift over 500 pounds and run 50 miles in the same day. And uh, I drank a steak shake throughout that day. <laughs> I'm guessing you accomplished that? Yeah. I wow. Did. Oh, yeah. I don't know which one is I more pulled, impressive? I pulled 520, and I wanted to go back because I, I had some more in the tank. But I hit 500. It came up easy. I, I hit 520, and there was still some more there. But I was I, I had the discipline to pull it back, and then I had some back off sets. And then I just went out to Folsom Lake and took off. And, and how many miles? 50. All right, exactly. Um, that's 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 the separator. There's a lot of guys out there. That, I'm not one of them, but there's a lot of guys that could pull 500. We we had a guy in here. Uh, I don't know. You ever seen the Body Chemist? No, but you posted something something on a guy recently, right? Seven ten. That's great. I've never pulled anything. He like he he set the record here in the gym. But I mean, that guy's not going to go run 50 miles after doing that. That's insane. That's to to have that balance between those two styles and really just your anaerobic and aerobic that's incredible so that was that was my goal yeah i like to keep my deadlift about triple my body weight and still maintain <laughs> is that all yeah well, you <laughs> what know, do you weigh? like uh right now i'm about 188 i'm normally about 181 oh I, I spent the last year like putting on quality mass and yeah. so uh Just shaving now, down yeah. cutting down anything yeah. but the bare essentials yeah that's what i think makes the best i like anaerobic endurance and you set the world record for the weighted vest yes. carry am i right on that you are what, correct what is the world record that you set uh previously a guy had run 69 a little over 69 miles with 30 pounds uh-huh. and then i accidentally ran uh 116.2 miles with between 35 <laughs> and 38 pounds <laughs> I also shattered it by three times. How, also, how accidentally was this? So about that, I also didn't stop or rest once. How long did that take? <laughs> Thirty-three hours and four minutes, and sixteen goodness. seconds, I believe. Without, I, I mean, I didn't, I did not stop. Like no rest stops, so no breaks, no for nothing. A day and a half, you yeah. just ran yeah. with this weight on your back. Yeah. My God. What and was the terrain like? Was it? It was pretty. Oh, so it was pretty. Really? I, I didn't do nothing too ambitious. I was mostly running along the American and Sacramento rivers and around Folsom Lake. So around okay. Folsom Lake, okay. there's some lower foothill stuff, but it's not. It was there was no crazy elevation gain. Yeah. Um, however, <laughs> when I finished, so the other thing was, well, it's so also long. when I feel like on the second day, I kind of developed a weird little bit of a cough, and so when I finished, I took a COVID test and it was positive. 
after the run? Right, immediately after. You had, so you COVID had, you were time. COVID positive yeah. while you. Um, it was the second time I'd got it, so I'm sure it was more mild than it would have been. But uh, so the next day, the recovery off that was brutal because I, I tore my right meniscus, retore it. It was an old injury, and then I sh- I had several fractures in my feet. Uh, from yeah, just the weight from the nonstop running too, because it's like your body. I think just yeah, you need rest. Even you're like, just not meant rest. to do yeah. that. You're not. Yeah. I don't really think there's much on this earth that's meant to run that long with that much weight without stopping. Yeah. Camels don't even go that far <laughs> that fast without. What kind, of, what kind of footwear were you wearing? I was wearing a pair of Ultras. I'm trying to remember. The Torrens, I believe, on that one. Okay. They were, uh, I'm not super, I, I like Ultras a lot. I don't know much about the brands and stuff. Like, you know, I, fig, I, I pick a few brands. I love Kuyu stuff for, like, mm. you know, outdoor and my running stuff. It's not barefoot wear, I'm assuming. No, no it it's back. a minimalist running, or, uh, yeah, uh, it's hybrid. It's, I think, it's a in the middle type of thing. Wide toe box. Yeah, and it's it's also of the ultras who generally tend to lean more towards that, uh, like wide toe box, neutral drop, you know, yeah, uh, yeah. minimal support ultra shoe. It's it's the second. So it doesn't have a like a crazy high no, heel. Like very it's... very neutral, and I okay. believe it the one that I wore was the second or third lowest profile shoe that they make in their lineup, which is more profile. I just I don't like I'm obviously much support, and yeah. I. I spent a lot of time barefoot as a kid, just growing up in the country, and then also that's why you have that strength in your. That's why. Yeah, and jujitsu now. I spent a lot of time barefoot. I've I've really sort of leaned into a philosophy that I've kind of coined, which is periodizing your footwear. Oh yeah, that's smart. A lot of times, I think people are not just with footwear, with just about anything you can imagine, nutrition, training, everyone's kind of an all or nothing mindset. It's like, we absolutely must do this or we absolutely must do this. I got to go to 90 degrees, not an inch lower, or I need to go all the way under the ground every time. That's sort of the mindset I think that people find themselves in. And I think that's not necessarily the best way to go about doing things most of the time, especially when it comes to footwear. I mean, look at an example of what you just did. I mean, I wear, I want to wear barefoot shoes when I'm training, when I'm walking, and even when I'm hiking, if I'm hiking something that's, let's say, I mean, it's like under five miles round trip, something like that. Sure. But at the same time, I want to know, and I want to know in advance, okay, what kind of train am I doing? How far is this? Maybe I bring other shoes. Maybe I alternate between the two. If I'm doing something like the Grand Canyon, maybe I'm going to do you know rim to rim a couple times. I'm going to take a couple days over there. I'm going to bring two pairs of shoes. First day, maybe I'm going to start with some trail runners. You know, Then I'm going to go down. Maybe I'll do the Chamas. Then I'll go back. It, it just it, it depends. You have to have a plan. And I, I think that's important to sort of navigate that as opposed to just sticking to one dogmatic style of training in any shoe no matter what it is i would agree i mean wild hunt conditioning that's literally like the full spectrum training uh, we do the minimum effective dose of the maximum effect effective methodologies of a wide variety of different training styles and modalities so it's like any of my athletes like they're not all ultra runners they're not it's not anything like that mm-hmm. um they i tend to work primarily i mean i don't really coach individually much anymore outside of like a few people that are either have been with me since the beginning or that i'm just i'm close to mm-hmm. um but anyone who works with any of our coaches is going to see they're generally going to be people either from a military or law enforcement background or some that's sort awesome. of fighter yeah, it's just, it's so tactical conditioning is where I got my start in terms of my education. Sure. So that was training. What guys. is your education from a sports science background? How did you get into this, this um, particular thing? I, I kind of just start, well, essentially my official title, I guess, is just the tactical conditioning specialist. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like my certifications and all that are, are centered around that. Sure. But I really just, essentially I got, I had like a bunch of different, I wanted to do a bunch of different things. And I kept going to all these different coaches who were like, the top of their fields and asking like, Hey man, how can I lift weights, run ultras, do jujitsu, bunt bear, like, do you know, and yeah. you know, and like still feel like, okay. And everyone just turned me away or was like, that's too many moving parts or that's can't, you know what I mean? It's can't like, those are all opposing forces. You can't balance all that. Or like the best I'd get is like, all right, periodize it. You know what I mean? Like do this one during this season, this one during, the, you know what I mean? But like none of that appealed to me. Like no. I, I wanted it all. And I, I had, I've always kind of, been skeptical about a lot of the long held assumptions in the fitness community, mm-hmm. like whether it's, you can only build muscle with eight to 12 reps of high, you know, for hypertrophy <laughs> or that, you know what I mean? It's like when I need hypertrophy, by the way, I do five to six reps. I do them heavy, uh-huh. but I do five to six. I might do, you know, put more sets, but yeah. Anyway, you got to go point. through building, then cutting, then yeah. building. Then the, yeah. That. But it's, it's, so it's like all, yeah, all the, like, anyway, I've, so a lot of the assumptions I, I wasn't willing to accept. And so I just started trying to build my own system and very amateurly at first. Um, 
I would just like basically take bits of like strong first stuff from Pavel and bits of this and just try to like put these puzzle pieces together and they wouldn't fit or they, you know, they, they would seem to fit. And then I'd, as some shortcoming would be exposed here or there. And just over time, I, I refined it. I, I've been very fortunate to study directly and indirectly under some of the greatest around. Um, you and I both went on Mark Bell. This is the second time we mentioned him. Did he yeah. have any influence on your early training um, methodology? So I didn't meet Mark until a little later, but I've, I've, I always learn everything I can from Mark gotcha. um, on, on every level. He's a great dude. But Charles Poliquin, you ever listen to him? You ever uh, read his oh, stuff? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 He was an early influence. I never met him, but he was an me early either. influence on me. I was really um, bummed when he passed. I, I was fortunate enough to learn powerlifting stuff from Andrei Milanchev. Who, oh, outstanding! Yeah, some you know some say is the great you know the goat or one of the greatest powerlifters of all time. Um, I mean, the guy squatted I think like ten eighty or something. You know, just some insane. <laughs> That's right. It's just a um, disgusting I've, amount of weight. <laughs> yeah, I've been a, I've been fortunate enough to study jujitsu under some of the you know Lucas Lepre and some of the greats in person. So I, I you know I've just I've been very lucky. Uh, yeah. Marcelo Garcia and. Uh, the one thing is ultra running. Uh, yeah. I never found a very warm welcome in the community, honestly. I'm not sure if I was just different or they didn't really know what to make of me or what, but uh, Zach Bitter is the only guy there who really went out of his way to be. I don't know, I don't know Zach. I don't He's in Austin, Texas. Um, and he, honestly, he, like, we have friends in common now, but when I reached out to him, I, like, he had no idea who I was or anything. And I just was like, hey, man. Um, Can you pull up his uh, page, Jake? Zach Bitter. Zach Bitter. B i t t e r. Okay, and Great. he's an ultra marathon coach. He's an yeah, he's an ultra marathon coach and one of the greatest runners. I think he's on the U.S. national team. But is it so C A C K? Yep, that okay. is him. And so, oh, very cool. Like if you look at me, I'm I'm a reasonably competent like ultra runner in terms of like the sport. Like I can run. Uh, Follow him, Jake. I want to eventually talk to him. He's a good dude. Yeah. He's, a, he's a very good dude. Very hyper knowledgeable. Very uh, animal based, by the way. He's, oh, he's, cool. He's a, a low carb keto runner, I believe. Like he he adds only as many carbs he as he needs. Runs in ketosis. I believe for like the his competition events, he adds just enough carbs to like fuel his specific needs. But he's day to day. He's more he's more animal based and more keto based. Last that I heard. Yeah. Um. He, but so for instance, to give you an idea, like I can run a hundred miles and like less than 24 hours for sure. Just like straight run it. Right. Sure. <laughs> He'll do it in less than 12. My goodness. Yeah. Really? What is your pace like? Or how do you pace yourself in an ultra marathon? I've always been curious about this. Um, I'm probably the worst person to ask. I don't do, <laughs> I just run. Okay. Um, I don't, I'm not scientific. I don't know anything about breath work or any, some of these guys are. Yes. Yeah. Some of them are I'm, very, yeah. Oh, hyper scientific. I basically just like, I'm only, it's only been like a year or two that I've been fueling properly. I used to just take a bison bar and like a couple plums in my bag and take water out and just figure it out on the track you know what i mean i'm hungry i eat i'll come back a day later sometime. you know what i mean i'm not not joking forrest gump that shit yeah. all the way there man yeah <laughs> i mean you figure it out <laughs> but that, that's not I'm, it's not what i'm recommending though but like the world record run i fueled i fueled prepared trained properly that's the other thing i didn't use to train for ultras i would just do them and until a year ago i smoked cigarettes too so it was like you're kidding me no i like when i did the the first couple i i take smoke breaks like i'd start <laughs> yeah i'm not i'm not joking my, i would stop and be like well, have, I, my girl would have like and becky bring me one break. have you ever seen that video it the went chinese man the chinese man crossing I've, the finish line i've like, never done that like in the lead like no. like smoking cigarettes and I've people never, like what the hell no, i've never smoked on the run but you know i'd yeah the the first one i did uh, first couple and uh yeah, uh, so uh, I do things more responsibly. Like the the now. John Daly of ultra running. That's right. That was actually for, that was it pretty much. And, uh, That's but cool. I can also tell you that you perform better when you're not smoking cigarettes and uh, and not eating enough running an ultra. So I, oh, I prefer I'm, it this way for sure. I'm sure. I mean, having done it both ways, what I mean is it as impactful as you would think? Smoking cigarettes? Not not it... as, not as much as you'd think, but it, it's impactful for sure. It's undeniable, okay. and it's not good for your health. And then also we know that, like, at least the last research I saw, not that I'm a scientist or plugged in, but it's like I think 20% of the human population has a, a set of genes that makes them hyper-susceptible to cancer. If yeah, they're lung smoking, cancer, exactly, if they're smoking, yeah. Which is why some people smoke 80 years and die happy and others smoke for a year and you know get cancer. cancer yeah so it's like it just, it's just yeah. don't roll the dice yeah you i know? mean we're living in 2023 man we've known cigarettes have been bad for a very long time and i mean this is coming i'm a lifelong smoker you know what i mean yeah. until 
I, I I cut back like two years ago and I quit completely. I think like a year, year. So you after. started as a kid, I assume. Yeah, I was like sixteen or whatever. Yeah. You know, whatever. Um, That's what you do. I mean, in any, was, any but, of the community, especially the hunting community. I mean, they all well, that, and it was also the least harmful of my chemical habits at that. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, you, I didn't even think like weed, alcohol, and you know nicotine weren't really drug like none of us really no. they were just you know it's just like a food more of a food group than anything <laughs> and so now i don't drink alcohol now not and it's not like obviously i was a heroin addict for a long time um and so it's not i don't really do the uh 12 steps i, I kind of found my i just everyone has their own path there and for me yeah, it was i was gonna just, ask your, your sobriety what was the steps so you didn't go to rehab you didn't do 12 steps no just i that's I, tough to kick that man yeah and I kick, I quit cold turkey. Um, so at this time, I was actually on methadone and just really struggling to kind of stay clean and figure it out. Yeah. And I was on a really high dose of it. I was like 135 milligrams. Whoa. And so they told me, like the doctors told me not to quit cold turkey when I told them like I intended to. But I just I like I just had to. Like I, it was I needed to like claim my life back. I needed to like fight back. You know. And uh, that I mean, again, I am not the one that. But is that that does come with a risk, no? Yeah. So methadone that that dose cold turkey, you can die. Yeah, yeah. It's I mean, it was unlikely. It was it's possible, but unlikely. But it's way worse than quitting heroin because it and methadone. The reason they use it as a, a narcotic replacement is because it's very powerful and it lasts a lot longer. Which means the withdrawals last not four to five days, but I think mine were like sixteen days. And then on the seventh day, I woke up and it was weird. It was just like a switch, but. So for 16 days, I was... I'm confused. The withdrawal period is longer for methadone yeah. than heroin? Yes. Why would they replace heroin with methadone? Then? Because it doesn't have the uh, a high to it. It's a powerful opiate with a very minimal high attached oh, to it. So they interesting. Can, and it's so strong that it overpowers any other opiates you throw in there. So if, you, if you're if you on methadone on a proper dose and you go inject heroin, you're not going to feel any... Your receptors are already <laughs> oh completely, wow. completely wow. nuked by the methadone. And cut, you know, so there's nothing for the heroin to bond to. So it's very effective. But the Nazis invented it for the very specific purpose of being an analg- a pain a painkiller that doesn't get their soldiers high, so they can keep fighting. So they just used it in trench warfare. You get shot, you I shoot think, up. Well, and World War Two. World yeah, War Two. Yeah. yeah. Does um, the I mean, does the correlation? I mean, methadone and methamphetamine. Do they share any of the no. same? Totally different. Yeah. Totally chemical maker. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So 16 days of withdrawals from yeah. methadone. Yeah, and the withdrawals themselves are also more severe. Like I said, it's a more powerful opiate, you know, milligram for milligram. I mean, mm-hmm. people die overdosing on it all the time. I know many people who have. Yeah. Um, so it's controversial as mm-hmm. a treatment. You know, I, I have no doubt that a few decades or a century down the line when people are looking back, it will be one of those barbaric treatments like, you know, lobotomies or, you know, whatever. Bleeding, like, bleeding people out. Yeah, exactly. Like, why would yeah. I yeah, yeah. even do that, you know? <laughs> Oh but, man, uh, we had some crazy practices back in the day. They used to, uh, uh, um, oh man, for for women's health, and they used to like remove their uterus to help with mental illness or something like that. I, I, rem- I, I remember they did you, leeches. You, like, yeah, I, mean, I hear that a long time ago. People used to like inject plastic into their body parts. It's crazy, right? Now we're eating it, <laughs> either on purpose or by accident. Yeah. Now we'll eat that. We'll eat a whole bunch of weird stuff yeah, in our food now. Right. But uh, so anyway, uh, that started the long journey but that i guess that uh i guess you could say that that win getting through that oh and also i lived next door to a methadone clinic at the time so it was like i was staring you know <laughs> convenient you, yeah literally like you know so you just go out and just look at anything yeah yeah <laughs> oh, no, i wasn't walking anywhere but i knew like you know what i mean it's literally yeah. right there how has wild hunt conditioning i mean how has it progressed since you started it where, where, where do you see it going and where has it came from where it began Man, I'm I'm just I'm so grateful. It blew up super quick. Yeah, uh, I've I seen only, it everywhere. I only took the company public, or not public, like in terms of shares, but I only took it like onto social media and started kind of sharing stuff like a year and a half ago or something, like somewhere mm-hmm. in that. And I only really started trying to grow the account like last fall. Um, Which for someone who doesn't care about social media, kudos by the way, that has yeah, done I, very very yeah. well. I mean, I, you know, like it's it's the space I work in, so you can't say I don't care about it. But it's not something I'm not. I wasn't savvy with like the culture of it, and I'm still like I'm not. I'm, I don't know much about the fitness world or the fitness community. It's and, like day to day stuff. You know, like you probably have me reaching out to you to ask you questions on you know who this person is or what the, you know what I mean. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, but j- basically, I just try to focus. It's like I've I've, I've 
stumbled into this kind of way of doing things where I never focus on the result. Mm -hmm. I try to just focus on the process. Like I've always been fascinated with the samurai, not just because of my family history, but just in yeah. general, Your mom, mindset. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And she comes from a very old Japanese family too. So there's like a long, a lot long line of history, including some of the famous samurai going gotcha. back. Is um, she still in the picture with you my mom? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. What does yeah. she think of everything you, of what you've uh, made, what the transformation you've made personally? Yeah. She, uh, she was, I mean, she was the only one that was there for the, for all of it. She's yeah. a saint, like a, an actual saint, you know, just beyond, beyond belief. But she, she, I think she, I imagine she's pretty proud, but, um, you have a very powerful, you've got a very powerful testimony, even more powerful than I think the company you've made. I mean, the story that you, what you've come through and what you've overcome and what you've accomplished on top of that. I mean, a lot of people, they come out of recovery. That's great. But then they don't really accomplish shit when they're out. Maybe they're clean, but they don't, you know, that's yeah. it. Yeah. And and so, I mean, to, to really understand that there are a lot of people out there that are going to be in that boat. There are going to a lot of, there are a lot of people out there struggling with that sort of addiction right now. And to see that you've turned what is a, what, what do you think, is the biggest appeal to this, to, to your branding, to the fact that you've created this well-rounded, well-versed style of training. It has to do with the outdoors, the, you know, the ancient man, all of that hunting. What, what is that? Do you think there's a, yeah. So I would say it's, I mean, for some people, they definitely come for heritage and history and they, they, they want to understand where we come from, where, why we train the way we do, why we live the way we do, what's missing from the way we live. But for a lot of people, I think it's just the freedom the freedom that comes literally and figuratively with being able to pursue a lifestyle like, you know, like I try to pursue and being able to train in a way that lets you interact with the real world in an effective way. Yeah. So you can do, you know, if you want to run, if you want to lift, if you want to swim, if you want to go hike the Appalachians, if you want to, mm -hmm. you know, do whatever you know, like, you know, you can literally do whatever you want. You and, ever thought about doing any big, uh, big hikes like K2 so Everest? I, I, I can't drop it just yet, but let's say that the next challenge this summer, later, late summer, early fall is going to be something of that nature. And it's going to be far in excess of what I did with the world record. Okay. Yeah. If I'll this, I'll, I might, let's, I'll, let's we'll have a conversation. Let's, yeah, discuss, we'll discuss, it. let's <laughs> discuss it later. Cause I think you and I might need to actually okay. collaborate on something like that. Okay. I've been an avid hiker my entire life. Uh, uh, I mean, I've never done anything huge like that. I, I hold a local record. That's about it. But for me, that's awesome. Hiking is probably my favorite activity my favorite expression because it gives you a real opportunity i love hunting hiking and hunting and me to me go kind of hand in hand if you're really good at one you'll have a leg up in the other hunting's a whole new different experience because you've got the spiritual connection to the forest to the animal you're hunting the ritualistic practice that it takes and that is the other thing it's a misunderstood practice oh, people yeah. don't get how difficult hunting really is it just physically but emotionally and it just it's such a vested amount of time and effort in order to get that satisfying the principle of delayed gratification is never better explained than in a hunting environment so i uh, you said so many things i agree with in that sense <laughs> but to start uh yeah it's extremely misunderstood uh if you if you think about it logically the po all the possible outcomes for the life of an animal you know mm -hmm. Obviously, factory farming doesn't even make it in like that. We can dismiss yeah. that from the get-go. That's there's yeah. no way to live in a cage and then get bolt gunned in the head. You know what I mean? And yeah. bleached and yeah, you know, ground up. Like obviously. So, in terms of hunting versus factory farming, obviously hunting is going to be a more humane, you know, natural alternative. Yeah. Um, food quality aside, obviously, there's no higher quality than you know mm -hmm. eating an elk that's you know that you just got in its in its Literally. native on its on its mountain on its yeah. hill in its home. Right. But also look at that elk like individually. What are the possible ways that its life can come to an end? Mm -hmm. Do you think that being torn apart by wolves is going to be better or slowly dying by disease or getting ground out by a, a larger male slowly and withering? Yep. Or do you think that maybe not seeing it coming, one of my arrows zips through, you know, double heart or double lung and heart shot. And, mm -hmm. you know, he might not even feel it or notice what's happening. Often they don't. Yeah. That's and another thing. If it's a clean shot, people don't get that. They don't. It's not like this big dramatic event. Oftentimes they don't even realize it happened. You'll zip them. They'll take a little trot. And that's the thing too, is when you do it, you don't ever chase them. No. You let them wait. You 30 wait minutes or so. You know, exactly. Yeah. You let them go. They'll usually bed down and then they'll just bleed out. And, and that's like, it. Not like a gunshot. There's no shock. There's no, you know what I mean? It's not yeah. like, you know, and, and gunshots are humane too. Like, you know, they are, but I think different. there is something even more. I, I mean, I haven't rifle hunted in a very long time. I have done it. 
I like and I respect the bow so much more. Yeah. A, it's a much more, it's kind of annoying to me if I'm being frank. When you go out hunting, you see those big fat bastards out there. It's like, all right, I'm going to go hack my way up to this tree blind and chill out. I'm like, yep. dude, you really haven't actually earned a lot of this. Like you hired a guide, you're out in that tree and you're getting fed yourself. <laughs> Are you talking about Jimmy John? I got a few people in mind that I can think of that have been doing that. Yeah, and, and I don't like that. I like I like bow hunting. I like dog hunting. I like it when you actually have to yep. get your ass out there and you got to be in some some sort of shape to get this done. Yep. Bow hunting, you got to get within 100 yards. I mean, oh, I'm, I, I don't trust myself I, outside of 75. If I'm being I, honest with you, I don't take it. I don't shoot anything outside of 50. I mean, Perfect. I mean, with you know, maybe for with herbivores, but with like a bear, I like I like forty. You know, I like I like closer than that. Oh yeah, but the uh, ten, I just, <laughs> yeah, and they're they're hard to track. You're not going to get a second shot. And what if he turns? You know, like I want to be sure. And with the bear, you need a slightly different angle than the broadside that you're looking for. With like yeah. an elk or a deer, you want it slightly quartered away because that that shoulder blade and that that meat, like they're jacked. Their shoulders are jacked. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, it's you know, it's I think it's by far the most humane humane way to do it and yeah don't maybe don't sit you know drinking budweiser over a pile of corn in a tree stand with you know and try to just reach out and touch touch a you know a little dough with the tip of your winchester you picked up at walmart on the way over and you know <laughs> or worse the guys who are you know fully decked out navy seals who you know what i mean yeah we, we all know the type yeah yeah no there is something about archery that i think just levels the playing field more than any well other than maybe a spear it levels the playing field more than anything else i've ever seen as far as hunting goes and and again you have got to work for it and and if you're if you're a good hunter it'll be a clean kill and even if it's even if it's not the animal is still going to suffer a lot less than if it starved to death or if it got like like you said eaten by wolves or any of the above yeah so yeah it's an incredible experience. It's also a very, and this has been my experience. You mentioned, you know, the humanity of it. It's a very human experience to go out and hunt for your food. Yeah. It makes me sad that, I mean, what percentage of people do you think never do that? 99, 98% of human beings have never hunted and killed their food. Mm-hmm. Never. So my girl and I were watching a, what was it? Oh, no, it wasn't. We normally would watch Alone, but we were we were watching a, a Naked and Afraid. Yeah, that's a good one. Admittedly being kind of mean girls, but um, we were watching it, and there was like a vegan chick on there. <laughs> yeah. And, and at first, she was all like, oh, no, we can't, we can't. She wouldn't let this guy move a bird nest. He went to like, it was empty, no eggs, no bird. It was like a, just a bird, you know, like an old, and she's like, no, no, they might come back. So she, and then like six days later, she was like, they see a snake and she's like, kill it. <laughs> but yeah. at the end, like she ends up, oh, I, I think they find another snake and she ends up doing the kill. Cause it's like about to get away and she, and if uh-huh. she kills it and afterwards she has like this moving experience and they, they like, she's like, oh, I understand. Like I feel bonded with this animal now. Like it gave its life so I can survive. And she had like an emotional experience. Oh, yeah. And then like the after credits are talking about like so-and-so went on to this and then it goes to her and she's like, and she went on to develop new outdoor skills, particularly hunting. So <laughs> She got just completely transformed. Wow. And not, not a lot of vegans on the uh, naked and afraid stuck. If you're stuck in the wilderness and you got to live, yeah, you're not going to be a vegan no more. You're not going to find tofu around the corner. <laughs> I do not know one uh, one who would hold to that oh, that's those a, circumstances. That's another one. I mean, who who was it who first went into the process by which they create tofu? And the who was it? Ted Nugent. Ted Nugent. You ever seen that? No. The, I... the Ted Nugent rant on Joe Rogan about making tofu? No. It's, I saw him go on Rogan. I, I must not. Have oh seen that part. my gosh! I have. I, I I knew who Ted Nugent was. He became my favorite person for probably a month after I saw that. It's the funniest because he says he in a nutshell he basically says he goes. He's like, so you're telling me that in order to make your impossible burger, I got to kill every tree yeah, squirrel, I do remember every that. shrew, yeah. every. He's like, that's yeah. what it takes. F you. He's like, it's, I grew up in farmland. Like you know what I mean. You yeah. and the, you got to you got to cut, spray, and burn just to you know just yeah. to plant that rice but it's uh i try not i i'll, I'll self-trigger if i like dive into a lot of that stuff so of I course yeah step over it and move on but like hey eat whatever you want to eat just don't come after me and, and don't call me a monster because i spend two oh, weeks yeah. in the spring and two weeks in the fall out chasing bear and you know what i mean oh it's the same to me it's the same thing people who want to eat fast food it's like hey man go for it that's totally your right you eat however you want to eat just don't come crying to me when you have you know like you said your legs about to be cut off you have diabetes you're got a fatty liver you drank every night like this is America. And even if it's not, eat whatever you want, live however you want. But sure. I love the, the the message that you're putting out, the combination of the 
exercise, the endurance, and the, and the practical application to something that is the oldest ritualistic practice that people have been doing, which For is sure. just outdoor hunting, the For conditioning sure. that goes with that. Yeah. Well, man, this is this has been really, awesome. really freaking awesome. Yeah. I've really liked this, bro. Guys. You like that? I mean, I mean that was, that was truly, fun. Truly. Yeah. Truly. Good talk. I feel like we'd go on for days. Yeah, I feel Definitely. like we could too. <laughs> yeah. So uh, where could people find you, James, if they want to get in touch or they want to learn about this? Yeah, I'm pretty much just wild hunt conditioning across the board. Okay. Um, Instagram, YouTube. Um, we uh, on we have a website. You can just find it usually linked in our in any of our social platforms. It's a Shopify link. Okay. And uh Check out, oh yeah, new book, uh, A History of yes. Physical Fitness. Oh, we so, can't stop now. you got to oh, tell yeah. me about this yeah, book, yeah, man. Real quick. You tell me, uh, what, what is it? A, a History of Physical Fitness. Yeah, so it's, it's basically, it's a look, and it's not a specific period of time. Like a lot of people have done books on like weightlifting in early 1900s or strongman. Or, yeah. This is just a full a full breadth of everything. So there's stuff that goes back thousands of years, like like prehistoric levels, like literally. Here, actually, I have one. Yeah. What was the first lift? The first of all weight lifts, of all the compound lifts that every personal trainer that we still use today. What was the very first one? The very first Ooh, one. um, deadlift. That's my guess. You think it's deadlift? Uh, that's my guess. That actually might be mine deadlift. too. It would be the deadlift. Yeah. What do you think? It's a tough one. Um, I'll go with deadlift too. Wow, we're all correct. Is it a deadlift? Yeah. Stone. Yeah. So, what is lifting a heavy stone off the ground? It's a deadlift, right? Yeah. yeah. Same thing. So that was one of the first like competitive competitions of any of, of strength nature, the first altogether that we can verify that and wrestling. Where, where did it originate from? We don't know. We, we can take it back to like Paleolithic times, but we don't know where it started because it just goes back. But they, they the reason that they know is because they find some of these rocks that have been artificially smoothed and are like, you know, along for competition. Certain, exactly. And specific like weights and sets. And, you know, so it's like oh, yeah. if you find 12 stones and three of them are this exact same size and weight and then, you know, the next three and the next three, you have a pretty good idea. And then a lot of them have specific uh engravings and stuff on them you know yeah like, yeah yeah yeah. Like maybe ancient, the name of the winner yeah. or something so like that yeah. prehistoric japan and like like it's one of those things that spans across the world like the basque people of uh you know northern spain right now still oh, yeah. do like the, like stone lifting still part of like their annual you know festivals and yeah so uh but it's so, like it goes back literally to the beginning and then all the way up to more modern stuff you know rocky marciano and muhammad ali the way they trained and ate and everything in between you know uh Ancient Greece, Rome. So yeah, it really is just a broad training list. for the games, training yeah. for the gla the gladiator training, Strength, endurance, uh, diet, and mindset too. Like you know, there's oh, yeah. just some cool stuff. You mentioned the Japanese. I mean, the mindset and the stuff they taught to the warriors, and the uh, the combination of strength training and cold therapy and stuff they did oh, with yeah. the, the contrast. snow. They yeah. did contrast therapy. They, they mastered the contrast stuff. Oh. If you ask me, human exercise physiology is one of the most fascinating subjects, and I love diving into the history. Yeah. I mean. Because I'm such an exercise equipment junkie, I love all the I love seeing the technology literally change kind of before my eyes. But even digging back to some of the older, more you know, like the steel mace, the club oh, stuff yeah, they used in back. oh yeah, Persia. I mean they ancient Egypt. Yeah, yeah. I mean, how am I going to get stronger in combat? All right, well let's put this bigger stone on the end of this rod and let's make you swing it ten thousand times a week, and oh, yeah. I bet you'll be better at it. Yeah. It's so cool. Yeah, secret training houses in Persia used them. I mean, it's like that's another one that you see Indian. Like if you look at Indian grappler or just Indian strength training in general, the Great Gama. Indian and Native American or Indian uh, Indian from the Indian subcontinent. From the Indian subcontinent. But okay. it's like they didn't really do like the the crazy heavy lifts. They did high volume calisthenics, very heavy clubs, and like you know some of the functional weighted stuff. They climbed poles and ropes. They swam like. Uh -huh. Very diverse. Um, the Inuit are another one who had like, like they're arguably in my mind, the tribe with the most well-balanced training program that I've come across. Wow. Isn't it? The Inuit. Yeah. I mean, it's they, Why? They, 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 they do the things that even most training programs, even at a professional level lack today. So it's like they did all the, the basic stuff, you know, strength training stuff that we all know about, but they also did weighted jumps they do knee jumps so like you know literally jumping from their knees they do yeah. neck strength stuff they have a literally in their in their <laughs> arctic wow. when they're arctic games they have a game where like two guys strap their heads together with like a like you and me would strap I've up on the that. back 
and we get on our hands and knees and try to pull, literally pull it apart. Yeah, and it's like most training programs today aren't that well balanced no. to figure it out. They have all sorts of crazy, like I said, jump stuff, functional strength training, neck training, like isometric stuff. There's this crazy event where it's like you see how many people you can carry. Like literally, you, you like all your boys just hang off your arms and off your back and up front, back sides, and you just see how far you can how, carry, like you four just of them. Stand there yeah. and just no, no, to... you run like it's a weighted carry oh, with all your movies on you. <laughs> yeah, it's like one on your back, one on your, one off each arm, and it's like you, you literally. I have a video like. I'm, I'm doing a post on I think this week and it's like one of the little cuts and there was a guy carrying four of his homies and he's not like a he's yeah. like built like me I think you know? right 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 oh I love I love the the historic posts that you do and stuff oh, it's, yeah. it's, I've learned a lot from the page yeah, it's very cool it. and and it's it's such a it's such a fascinating thing that we as a species we've always been at least slightly obsessed with strength and, yeah. and to a degree we've always wanted to know like all right which one of us can carry that rock the furthest which one of us can swim across the fur it's just kind of in our blood yeah. we want to know apparently a lot of people do because it's I, the book just released yesterday and it like when i went to bed last night it was the number one new release in its section there wow. you go Congrats. that's awesome like, man that's Congrats. awesome yeah. where can they buy it amazon amazon yeah awesome yeah that's uh, great a, a history of physical fitness by james perratt it's a paperback and Kindle. I'm sure we'll have a hard copy out before. Yeah, people, um, you got to get get one yeah. to us, man. We'll put it up in we here. Will. We That's will. That's great. I, I want to read it. How? I mean, is it? Are we talking? If it was a hard copy, are we talking the Bible? Or are we talking? I mean, no, how many, I how think many it's like 153 pages, so it's not crazy, and it's readable too. So it's like uh, the entries in there range from like short stuff, like uh, social media posts, to full length chapters and breakdowns. Oh, There's yeah, also. There um, like twelve bucks, guys. Yeah, that's and, great. Uh, like, oh, I love the Spartan helmet. That's very cool. Yeah, buddy of mine drew that. He's a tattoo artist, actually. Good for him. That's cool. I love. I like the adaptation of that. No, the Spartans were. I, the Spartans get a lot of glory, of course, for their they, physical they were, prowess. Mean, and they, they just they did it better than anyone in terms of like ab maybe the samurai, but absolute commitment and like a lifestyle revolving around it. They did it better than anyone. Yeah. But there's also cool stuff like uh, there's a tribe in the South Pacific, the Bajau, who ha are literally superhuman. Like they're, they're literally today? The real life hawk today. Really? They have been living completely at water for thousands of years now. Their spleens are twice the size of yours and mine to scrub oxygen more efficiently. Their brains and their vital organs, including their heart, require less, like they, they can function on a function perfectly on a lower level of oxygen. Their cells, like their hypoxic responses. Are these the guys that are swimming down to the bottom of the, I've seen these guys. Have they you can, seen this? Yeah. They, they grab stones and they it's, sink to the bottom of the ocean and they spearfish it's on national geographic there's yes. like a, something That's the same one yeah yes. they, yeah they the do, fish they, people they rock, call them yeah rock belts they, they have belts they fill with pouches with rocks drop down there they some of them will burst their own eardrums when they're young so they can go deeper like like hundreds of feet like crazy feet <laughs> what yeah but they can't hear shit when they're older but they uh like you know they make that sacrifice like they're they're about that but they have physiological adaptations oh and no gosh. one knows how they came to live completely on the water like there's different legends there's the one legend that seems that they use themselves use or some of them the bands use is that they were bodyguards to like a princess in ancient times and she was taken and they were shamed like they were she was taken under their watch like on a sea voyage and they were shamed and like they swore they'd never go back to land whoa and so it's like yeah there, there's no one knows for sure do but, they just exist on those on the like rafts and yeah, stuff they essentially they essentially yeah, yeah just small boats and caravans they lash them together to like trade and live in like little mini mobile towns and they break them up they go on fishing voyages they scavenge a lot of stuff from the bottom of the sea both food and yeah. stuff stuff that they'll trade or scrap or whatever and water where do they get water i don't actually know oh, they like they, they have island access to islands and i guess stuff they like can that. i mean if yeah. they have to go and in modern I'm sure times i'm do. sure it's yeah. easier but I, I imagine it's just island sources most of the time and rain and whatnot um that's a crazy way to live that's nuts people yeah. are people are amazing people I really was, are i was just amazed at like the nature and that like i mean your spleen is twice the size of mine yeah. and you can you know what i mean and you can you can like a child a child from your tribe can stay underwater longer than an olympic diver like yeah. just like just chilling you know, yeah. well, just the, I mean, the, the micro evolution that's happening to those people as they now and as they breed and as they continue to have, yeah, you, yeah. you you would think your kid is probably a little bit more physiologically prepared for that than I was yeah. because I did it for 35 years and then I had him and now he's doing it from the time he's born and it just keeps going. How many generations do we know? How many generations of people have been doing that? A couple of thousand years. So oh, my gosh. Jesus, Jesus times, wow. more or less, I think. What? Yeah. So <laughs> it's I mean, insane. You know, 
It is. So yeah, the book looks at that. It like again looks at the Spartans and you know they were an enigma even in their own time. Like like yeah. if you were to ask the Athenians in 400 BC how the Spartans trained, you wouldn't know a whole lot more than we do. They spoke their own language. They lived their own way. They actually came from a different lineage of Greeks. They were from the Doric Greeks who were there before the Mycenaean civilization came and established modern Greece. Right. So they were just kind of always this mysterious outsiders. They were big, uh, big hunters. Alexander the Great was Macedonia, correct? Yeah. 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 So not from the Spartan. No, he came. They rose kind of in the void, left. Like the Spartans, essentially when their way of life became compromised and they started adapting trait, they, they, they were victims of their own success. They were so badass that they conquered essentially everyone and ruled Greece for a couple centuries, but they started acting like Greeks once they conquered other Greeks and they took they, it and it slowly began this decay and uh, eventually you know they Athens topped them and then Macedon came along and yeah. just did conquered it. everybody Every, everybody, <laughs> everybody. <laughs> <laughs> so uh but yeah so anyway we looked at them closely archaeological evidence ancient texts like all sorts of recreations and all sorts so it's been arguably the most detailed breakdown of spartan training and diet in existence Dude, i gotta Factual. read this i, I want to read, read this book, book. Yeah. <laughs> have you considered doing an audiobook for this yeah i'm sure we will at some point yeah sure we do, do that do that yeah because then you can direct link it people can listen to it especially while they train i mean who wouldn't listen to this yes. while they're working oh, yeah. out are you think kidding that, bro dude oh. this is like a Put a little spartan music in the background uh, I didn't think of that. Like, yeah yes. make this into like a uh i would use transitions with like really aggressive like music yeah. you know what i mean or, between chapters 300 stuff like and then next chapter have people running through their walls oh my gosh the motivation i can feel it even now i haven't even read a page Hey, no. thanks for coming on, man. No, Seriously, me, this man. is amazing what you're doing. I commend you. I think what you're you're gonna help a lot of people. And appreciate it, brother. It's been an yeah. honor. It has. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, buddy. We all good there. Thank you guys so much for watching that episode of Becoming the One Percent Podcast. If you like the content and you want to see more of it, hit the like and subscribe. Activate that notification bell as well. We really appreciate it. If you guys want to see more of it, we actually have the Becoming the One Percent Instagram and the podcast is available on Spotify. For our socials, we have Strict Vision Athletics on Instagram. We have it on YouTube and we have it on TikTok.